Doreen, like Jackie said, from Lawrence at the moment. And if any of you find yourselves in the five towns and you'd like or would like to find yourself in the five towns for Shabbat, you are welcome to join us. It's really nice out there. Jackie will give you our contact information. Our subject tonight is, of course, Hanukkah. But our question, the question that we're going to answer, is what is that secret sauce? that the Jews seem to put on all, you know, drink or have uh, put on everything they do. How is it that Israel, the Jewish people today, are second, second in terms of high tech, in terms of innovation, second to America, which is the most powerful, you know, country in the world, essentially, and the freest in terms of, and, and the, well, I wouldn't say the freest, but the pieces so much of the innovation in the world, Israel is second. And Israel is a tiny country. What is it? Why are we at the forefront of thinking differently? Tikkun Olam, so many projects and, and developments and uh, technology that benefits everybody on earth. Why are we the first people on the scene, even recognized by our enemies at the UN, the first people on the scene in Haiti, in Turkey, anywhere there's a natural disaster, who's there first? We can set up a field, we, Israel, can set up a field hospital in 12 hours with an operating room, with everything. I mean, what is it? Where, where do we get this from? Why are we considered, in all the world, the ninth happiest population, in, you know, you know, polled, when we have very, you know, in Israel, we're talking about Jews in Israel, really, but it's really Jews in general, have, we don't have the easiest situation at all. So what is it? What is the secret? Where, the question is, and we're talking about Hanukkah, where does the light come from? The light, the goodwill, the innovation, the desire to help, the, the happiness, where does it come from? Where does it come from? And in order to understand the answer, we have to go back a very, 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 very long time. It doesn't come from us automatically. We got that light from somewhere. It was given to us. It was embedded into our, our souls. From where? And then when we start to answer that question, we'll understand Hanukkah. And we're going to understand a very interesting halachic, legal, you know, uh, um, peculiarity of Hanukkah. Here's where you get into, you know, the, the rabbis do this halachic hair splitting about what is specifically the law. Here, let's do a tiny bit of it, okay? The law is that it is ideal to light your Hanukkah candles at a time of the day that is officially called Ben Hashmashot, which means between Hashmashot, the root is of Shmashot is Shemesh, which means Sun. So when is Bein Hashmashot? Between the suns. Which means twilight. When one sun has set, and where's the other sun? It's about to get dark. But it's officially called between the suns. We'll understand that too. And you light the candles at this time when it's not really anymore Jewishly the day before because the sun has set. And it isn't yet the new day because it hasn't it isn't dark, there's still some element of the light in the sky, you can still see, it's not yet dark. And that's when you have to light the Hanukkah candles. Why? So we're talking about, Hanukkah represents a time in history and an experience in every human being's journey where they realize 
that one sun has set, but it's not yet dark, and because that sun has set, it's time to make it light, because it's getting dark outside. We have to light, we have to bring more light into the world. We light the candles. What sun is setting and what sun is rising? Where, where are the two suns? We have two suns, one sun that is setting, and one sun that we don't seem to see, because we only see darkness coming, that seems to be rising, and the, the, our way of showing that is really lighting the Hanukkah candles as it's getting dark. So, we're going to talk about history, and we're also going to think, when we speak about history, about our own personal history, our own journey. Okay? The Jewish people are an ancient people. We, we, we didn't always operate the way we operate today. There was a long period of Jewish history that ended 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, about 500 BCE. There was a period of Jewish history that preceded that end for about 1,000 years. We're talking about 3,500 BC to 2,500 BC. That period of Jewish history and the stories of that period are incorporated, are contained within what we call the 24 books of Tanakh, the Bible and the prophets, all those ancient books. And those books record a time period where there were open miracles and there were prophecy. God spoke to people, however, that worked in a state of meditation and understanding. And there were miracles, supernatural things that a prophet could predict and announce, and it would be as they predicted at the time they predicted. There really was, in Jewish history, a long period where our experience was that we were almost like children in our parents' home. We lived in Israel. And our parent, God, Hashem, did everything for us, just like a parent makes sure you have all your furniture for your bedroom, you have a bed and you have a dresser, and you have your food in the refrigerator, and they set the table and feed you dinner, and they make sure you have your school books, and they make sure to call the teacher if there's a problem, and if somebody's bothering you, they get involved. You live with your parents directly involved in your life. Well, the Jewish people in our youth lived with, in that kind of relationship with God, where God was very obvious, very present, and that was the, that's what the prophecy was, that the, the miracles were, that really happened. And we have it in the 24 books of the Torah. And that time period in Jewish history, which is deeply ingrained in our psyche, was as if we were, we can compare it to a time or an experience that might be like thinking about a play, okay? When the, when the curtain opens, all the props are in place, and the actors can sit on the chair where it's supposed to be and get up and go to the desk where it's supposed to be. Everything's been set exactly right, and it gets moved around as needed for the actor or the actress or both. So we know that when the curtain was closed, lots of things were going on behind the scenes, right? And everything was being put in place for the actor or the actress to do their job. That first period of Jewish history, that a thousand years from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob until all through the period the Jewish people lived in Israel, the, the prophets that you hear about, all till the destruction of the first temple in 586 BCE, it was as if there was no curtain and you could see all the arrangements taking place for the people. So the Jewish people lived in Israel and things were happening for them, supernatural things that were places, things were being put in place. We saw God's hand like a child sees their parents' hand in their life. And God gave us instructions directly through prophecy, like a parent tells a child exactly what to do. 
that time period came to an end, just like a youth of a child comes to an end. There comes a time where the parent and the child become ready, and maybe not, not at the same time or not to the same degree, but it's natural, it's good, where the child and the parent realize that it was, you know, this period of the parent educating the child and teaching the child and showing the child what's right and helping the child have a be set up for all possible, you know, in the, giving them the best possible situation to, to uh, launch from, then the parent has to back off and the child has to emerge as an adult and those values and those truths and that education and that instruction that they got from their parent has to slowly but surely integrate itself into the child's heart and the child's mind and has to un inform them as they become an adult. And they'll go out on their own, and they'll experiment on their own, and they'll make some mistakes, and they'll also discover some things, and, and they'll, they'll try to find themselves and apply what they learned, but in their own way. And that's meant to be. And if that doesn't happen, it's a tragedy. Right? You don't want a 30-year-old child being uh, the mother making the lunch for the kid and putting them on the, and driving them to, to, their, to their job and calling the boss. Okay. So that's that period of God withdrawing and we being empowered, the Jewish people, to take those truths and those values, those eternal truths that are recorded for us forever, and work with them and build a life with them and apply them. Okay, that was the second period of Jewish history that we're still in. That period is where God is more hidden, where there's no more prophecy, there's no more miracles that are open. But here's the secret. The secret is that nothing's changed. It's just that a curtain was drawn, so you can't see behind the scenes. But for the Jewish people, and here's the secret, we know the curtain was drawn, and we know that nothing's really changed, and all that stuff is still going on behind the scenes for us and for the world. And therefore, although there's a curtain, we like to peer through it. We could practically see through it some of the times. We could see God's hand behind nature, behind history. Because, yeah, it's a curtain, but it's just like a parent withdraws, but they're always there in the background. They're always ready to help. They're always making sure the child is not getting into too much trouble. They're always there. So it's a balance between independence for the child and still God's presence the parent or God's presence and concern and providence. It's a balance. We now live in the time period where there's more hiddenness of God, but we know as Jews that that doesn't mean that anything's really changed. And Jewish history till today shows that. There are so many miracles, hidden miracles, that, that, you know, that are, we take almost for granted especially in the state of Israel, for the Jews in Israel, Jews all over. There's a lot of difficulty, too. But there are so many things that are just not explained, or, you could, or rather you could just say, there's more going on here than we could see or we can control. Now, knowing this, that is first and foremost the secret to why we don't accept or get disheartened by the mere facts. Because the facts don't tell the whole story. The facts don't operate by themselves. So we have this capacity to question the facts, to doubt that the facts are everything. That's the secret sauce. That's why we don't get disheartened when things look bleak if for a moment here or for a moment there or for a patch there. We find 
the confidence and the hope and the inspiration that we don't, we're not seeing the whole picture. There's a lot of things going on and pieces moving that we'll understand eventually and that will fall into place eventually. And we go on and there's happiness, therefore there's confidence, there's, there's inspiration. And we're able to not become hopeless even though things become difficult in our lives and in our national life. Now here's where we get to the Hanukkah battle and victory with the Greeks. Okay, what was our issue with the Greeks? And it's specifically about this, this idea. Is there a behind the scenes that we can rely on that gives us confidence, that we're devoted to, that we trust in? Or is there no such thing anymore as behind the scenes? Maybe all that ancient stuff is fantasy and it's just holding us back. And all these things we do, these rituals we do that are not logical, you know? What are they? Maybe they're just old-fashioned things. Maybe all that behind-the-scenes stuff that we believed in, that we operated by, you know, it's not real. That's the disagreement between the ancient Greeks and the Jews, and the Jewish people won that battle, and we really won it because the world is different today. So let's talk about Greek history for a moment, okay? <coughs> Anybody? I don't know if it's still in the curriculum, all that classical Greek stuff, the mythology, the tragedies. Yeah, a little bit. So, ancient Greece, classical Greece. We're talking about 700, 800 BCE, when we still had a temple. Like, about the time of our prophet Isaiah. Okay? We were living, as we said, with God's hand through prophecy and miracles, a temple, all kinds of supernatural things were part of our day-to-day -day life, and they explained for us the world and the workings of the world and the purpose of the world. God spoke through the prophets in telling us all that. But the Greeks back in those days were also seeking to understand how the world came about and what explains life down here and what explains why the predicament that humans are in and how it all came to be. And so the, most, the earliest record we have of Greeks trying to write down and record some type of explanation for the world and how it is, is who? Anybody know? About 800 BCE, approximately. Hmm? Homer? Yeah. Homer and then Hesiod are writing down mythologies about how it all came to be and explaining why things are the way they are. Okay? But the world was changing. That was the time period within 100 to 200 years. That would be the time period where God, not just for the Jews, but for the world at large, would withdraw and give man, empower man, give man the responsibility to take center stage and be the discoverer of truths. Not impose truths upon the people through prophets and through miracles. Here, see, I'm God, see, this is my will, see, this is what I want. But let man discover what's true and what's real through their own investigation and exploration. Was, things were changing in the world, not just for the Jews. So we were banished from Israel, and we lost our temple, and we lost Jerusalem, and all prophecy faded, and open miracles stopped. And we went into exile, and then we came back to, to Israel after about 100 years or so, and we built what we call the second temple, but life was different. The second temple, unlike the first temple, had no miracles. There was no special breastplate with lights, with, with special jewels that lit up and answered questions. There was no ark 
that God would speak through all the miracles that are recorded in the Torah. There were no prophets. There was no special fire that we saw that was miraculous that burned on the altar. It was like a synagogue, a glorified synagogue. The world was different. It was the time for people to take center stage, to discover, and not just discover from scratch, but to look at their world and to investigate and explore it and understand that based on what we had learned in those first long years, a thousand years, in our education, but that would inform the way we view the world and all of its knowledge that we would gather. So that wasn't just happening to the Jews, that was happening all over the world. And the Greeks, now we're talking about 400 BC, 350 BC, we're talking about Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, that time period. The Greeks were destined, it's already in the Torah, in the second Parsha, in Noah. The Greeks were destined to be the nation. It says, Yaft Elokim Layefet. God will bestow beauty on Yefet, who was the father of the Greeks. The Greeks were destined to be the nation that would embrace this interest in man discovering the world and bring wisdom to the world and bring enlightenment to the world and bring all the things that we take for granted, science, medicine, mathematics, um, uh, democracy, government, all kinds of things that we live with and we would never want to live without, they were the nation destined to be the, to, to be the source, to be the forefront of this. So suddenly you have, let's focus on Aristotle, who, he's a very important figure even for the Jews, who is of a different mindset. And he didn't invent this mindset, he was caught up in the change in the world. And Aristotle essentially is the father of science. And what that means is he no longer would tolerate or had any interest or showed any regard for those mythologies as real explanations for how the world is running. No, the leaves don't fall off the tree because some wind god, some god is having a fight and, and, and causing you know, a storm of wind to blow. No, he actually said, hey, why do leaves fall off trees? Let's investigate a tree. Let's see how a tree works. And you figure out why leaves fall off trees. So he's the father of science. Now, the Jewish people have a long history of being interested in scientific before Aristotle. But for the rest of the world, he arose and he said, it's time. And he, it's made, it, it fit into what was happening. He said, it's time to draw the curtain across the stage and discard all of those stories, all of that mythology that's attempting to explain to us what's going on behind the scenes, because that, that's not the story. That's not true. We need to know our world from our own discovery. And so he starts investigating with his team, not just himself, in Athens, in the academy. With, they start exploring and classifying all knowledge in the world, trying to understand it as best as a human being can. But for Aristotle, and that's why our Rambam, our Maimonides, has a love-hate relationship with it. In terms of his genius and his capacity to investigate the world and gather knowledge and classify knowledge, our Maimonides, who lived 1,000 CE, okay, we're talking about 1,300 years after Aristotle, he says he came as close to prophecy as a human being could in knowing God's world, almost getting to, as close as he could get to, how things work. 
But then Rambam turns against him and says, but there was a big problem. When he drew that curtain across the stage and said, I don't want to hear anything about that, that mythology and the nonsense about how the world is the way it is, because that's not the right explanation. I want to discover the world through science. He refused to consider the possibility that there really is something behind the scenes, but it's not the Greek mythology, it's true Torah knowledge and wisdom that it's, that's given to us by God through true prophets and true miracles, and that actually does explain a lot of what's going on here and what, what's supposed to go on here and what, 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 what direction the world is supposed to take. He didn't want to consider it. So for Aristotle, everything was self contained. There was nothing beyond. There was nothing beyond. There was no God outside the world. If it, well, there was a God, it was just the, the functioning of the world within itself. There was no one to pray to, no one to interfere in history. There were no miracles. He shut the door on all of that, but a little too hard, because when you shut the door on the hand behind the scenes, you put human beings in a very, very precarious predicament. And that is that, that I'm all alone. Then I'm all alone. And I can't depend on anything kind of backing me up and you know, compensating for, my, for my, you know, what I don't know and what I'm not aware of. I can't rely on anyone to be working with me. I am alone. And in a world where I am alone, in a world that I'm beginning to discover, I see there are a lot of forces that are much stronger than me, forces of nature and human nature. And how am I going to secure my existence? How am I going to establish myself amidst all the endless possibilities of things that can harm me or damage me or get in my way? Suddenly, I'm alone, and what I need to do now is scramble, which is we're still doing it till today, to figure out as much as I can, as fast as I can, about the world so I can get myself into a more secure situation. So. I need to be able to predict when a tsunami is going to happen or when a, a hurricane is going to happen so I can get out of town. I need to know if I can, what diseases are latent in me so I should prepare for them in advance, right? What kinds of stuff? And interesting, this is reflected in the Greek tragedies. What is a tragedy for the Greeks? Not a hurricane, not a tsunami. Love lost. More than love lost. It's a comedy. There were tragic comedies. What was a tragedy? Nothing. No, not, no, no natural disaster was a tragedy by the Greeks. That was whatever the gods were talking about. So I think they, they were wrong. Hmm? So I think they were wrong. Close. For nat in every Greek tragedy, Oedipus, Antigone, these are classics, right? I used to read them. Um, the tragedy is where the main character, okay, falls prey to what Aristotle calls hamartia, the fatal flaw. The fatal flaw for man is hubris, confidence. What kind of confidence? I have this situation under control. I understand all the parts of this problem here. I know who's who, what's what, I know what everybody, everybody's maneuverings, and I figured it all out, and I'm on top of it, and because I understand everything going on, I'm going to act in a way that ultimately has my self-promotion, right, as its goal. I'm going to act in a way that's going to promote me and, and empower me 
But the problem is that there's one fact that they don't know or one variable that they don't understand. So they take action and that action is a huge mistake and they end up destroying themselves. Okay, like Oedipus who ends up in the end, what, what does he do? He kills his, his father, Mary's mother. Exactly, how'd that happen? He tried a thousand ways to avoid it, didn't he? He was sure he avoided it, but he did. So how, that was hubris. That is overconfidence. Now, why did they understand that to be the human flaw? Because they got it. That if, if you're living in a world that it's your job to take control and understand everything and situate yourself just right so that you can outmaneuver all the possible thing, you know, uh, you know, variables that could assault you, you can't know everything. And you're going to end up making a mistake and you're going to destroy yourself. That's a horrible way to live. Every afflictive state of mind that we suffer from is based in fear. Fear of these type of things. How do I know? Maybe I'm making a mistake. Maybe some, we're, think of all the ways we are afraid. Fear of, of, of error, fear of self-destruction, jealousy. How come they have that I don't have? What did I do wrong? How do I, how do I, you know, how do I uh, maneuver better? Fear of death, dying, being alone, of being devalued, anxiety, all kinds of worries. Everything comes from fear. Because when you're alone, and there's all these things to contend with, nature and other people's human nature, you don't have any way to guarantee that you're going to be able to secure yourself, your relationships, your future, your, 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 your well-being. There's no way to secure it. Too many things, too many variables. So on the one hand, the quest for knowledge of our world is a beautiful thing. But shutting the curtain so that there's nothing behind the scenes to rely on Nobody there backing you up, nobody watching out for you, nobody slowly moving things so they're in the right place at the right time for you, creates a disaster for human beings. And we live in a world of growing anxiety. It's the fastest growing illness and the most prescribed drugs in this country, unfortunately, now is becoming for anxiety and for worry. And that's when we have so much science and so many ways to predict all the possible things that could get us. We're more afraid because we know more. Anyone who studies medicine, anybody here in medicine? I, went, I was in medicine for a while in ultrasound. When you learn about all the possible things that could go wrong, you start having panic attacks every time you do anything. The Jewish people, the Jewish people have a different way of seeing the world. And this is where Hanukkah comes in. We never stop trusting that there is a behind the scenes. We don't take the facts that we discover, the obvious facts of life, as the only facts. We say they're clues. They're clues to a much bigger picture. We're not willing to make a judgment now and say this is what it is because there's a lot of, there's a lot of other pieces that are moving around that Hashem is in control of, that God is in control of, setting things up, putting things in place, and we're not operating alone here. So what do we have to do? We have to do the best we can and have a lot of trust that we have backup. And the backup is there as it always was there. What is Hanukkah? As the sun is setting, okay, 
In other words, as God is going into a little bit of withdrawing a little bit in an obvious way, giving us the stage, there's a sun rising. Light is emerging from us. We are the source of the light. That sun that set, it set into us. And now it's beginning to shine from within us. Because we go en- we enter the world with a confidence, not fear, with confidence that we're t- we have an important role to play. We are center stage, but we're not alone. And as we light each and every light on Hanukkah, more and more and more lights, we're saying that light increases. Every human being has to, has to first and foremost, come accept the fact because it's a, it's a real, it's a truth. They are not alone. They do not operate solo. There is that curtain that's cutting off behind the scenes. It could be transparent if you try to look through it. There is behind the scenes. Nothing has changed. Everything is as it was, but it's just being concealed a little bit so that we can operate, we can take responsibility. But that does, it's just like a good parent. They've, they withdraw a little bit, but they're still there. And this explains our crazy Jewish history, our positive attitude, our constant interest in making things better in the world and being a source of light, having confidence that things can be better, loving other people. You know why we love other people? Why Judaism is so inclusive? Well, we're the first people in Haiti for the mudslide and the first people in Turkey for the earthquake and the first people in who knows where. Why? Why Why do we love everyone so much? Because when you're not operating out of fear, about everybody, and which means, by the way, you instrumentalize everybody, we use everybody, they're either an instrument or a threat to us, when everything is a maneuver to how to secure my own existence in all this world with all these variables in play, right? And everything's a power play when you're trying to secure your existence. Every decision is based on fear, and everything's a power play. The Jews don't operate like that. We don't view everybody else as a threat. We don't instrumentalize everybody around us. We like people. We love humanity. That's Jewish. Because we're not, we don't believe that other people, other people don't control our destiny. So they're not threats to us. If someone doesn't give me a job, okay. I have Hashem behind the scenes. I'll get a job somewhere else. It's okay. I don't have to hate that person, take revenge on that person, fall into a depression. That person is just either a messenger or they're not. But Hashem isn't behind the scenes. I'm not alone. It's okay. I'll try the next thing. Nobody's a threat. We don't view other people as a threat. Unless they're a real threat. But in general, others are not threats to us. And we don't need to instrumentalize everybody because we're, it's up to us to use everybody and everything to secure our own little place over here because we're all alone and we're on our own here. We don't need to do that either. We can treat people with love and with respect and not instrumentalize them because we have backup, because we have Hashem part of our story. So we love people. We're inclusive. We don't have the other who we have to hate because they're a different color or a different religion or a different mindset or different who knows what. I'll end with this idea. The Greeks that we fought against in the Hanukkah story, they had a love-hate relationship with us. The Greeks loved the Jews because we were wisdom seekers also. But they didn't understand why we insisted on holding on to our old superstitious behaviors, Shabbos, kosher, 
circumcision that made no sense in terms of science, in terms of progress. And they wanted the world to move forward. And they asked us to, as they gave up their mythologies and their superstitions, why don't we also? Why are we holding on to this stuff? It's holding us back. And we said, no, 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 it's not holding us back at all. It's what's helping us progress. It's the secret sauce. It's the reason we don't look at the facts and say, okay, these are the facts, well, that's the way it is. Rather, we say, we question the facts, we come up with inventions, constantly new inventions and innovations and technology. They wanted us to shut the door on our ancient, eternal truths and just go with what's knowable and discoverable. And we refused. We fought that part of our lifestyle would not just be the scientific, but also the supernatural, the metaphysical, that which we had deeply, that sun that said into us that still existed. We weren't going to give that up. It was part of us. It actually aided our progress. It didn't hinder our progress at all. And it made us into a people that were able to be positive, confident, and, and manage through this long history that we've had where everybody else tried to break us, and we're not broken. We are not a broken people. We are a strong people at the forefront of advancement and progress, a light to the nations. Yeah, that's, that's Hanukkah. That's the idea of Hanukkah. So very proudly, when you light that menorah, you think about the light that's coming from inside yourself. The light that doesn't just look at the facts as they are, but looks beyond them. The light that sees the hidden hand behind the scenes. That's how we see the world. That keeps us happy. And then if our situation and our personal life is challenging or complicated or going through a rough patch, you're not alone. You are not operating solo. You're not, you, there's just, you do the best you can do and you have backup and you keep a positive attitude, and trust, and confidence, and you come up with new ways of looking at the situation, and we never resign ourselves to the absolute facts as they are. There's too much else in play. So that, thank God, perm should fill all of us with that light, that light that comes from us, that's supposed to come from us and make and be a light to other people too because nobody needs in the world today nothing is more necessary than this message the message of the light from inside us the the solace the comfort from fear if somebody comes in contact with every one of you as a jewish person and they don't walk away from you feeling less alone and less afraid then you didn't do your job as a jew because that is the jewish message the jewish and I know everybody here is committed, determined to do that job, make what we call a Kiddush Hashem, and bring light to the world. And I wish you all great bracha and success in this endeavor. And we all, may, we all merit to see a really great new light dawn, a light for all humanity, a light of comfort and peace that we so, so you know, strongly need. Amen. Amen, amen. Questions, anybody, or comments, or... Anything to clarify? Nice. 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 Thank you so much. Make sense? Okay, Thank you. 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 Thank you.
it's something that everyone should look after. So thank you. Amen. Huh?